start. <laughs> All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Bodybuilding.com podcast. It's fall in Boise, the nicest week of the year, which means I'm uh, <laughs> I'm growing my annual beard as well. Um, so if you're uh, doing the video version, like I apologize for that. Uh, I'm Nick Colace. I'm an editor here at Bodybuilding.com, and I've been here since episode one. We're coming up on episode 80. Yeah, thanks for listening. Heather Eastman is here to my left. She's a physique coach and judge, also an editor at bodybuilding.com. And our guest over here with the shaker bottle and the, here's some little screwing noises going on. Um, she's someone I've hoped to have on for a really long time, actually. She's someone who has a very deep association with bodybuilding.com, but has really flourished far beyond that as well. And she's Ashley Horner. Thank you so much for coming and Good talking to with us. Good to be here. It's been a while. Um, Ashley has been a model and athlete on this site and others. She was the star and creator of Charlie Mike on Bodybuilding.com All Access. It was a really cool sort of hybrid program, um, as well as has many programs and eBooks of her own, including everyone's favorite, Sweet Cakes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Stories about her in the news uh, refer to her as a fitness celebrity when she does really cool things like run across Haiti or do 12 hours of burpees um, to raise money for all manner of important causes, domestic violence, sex trafficking victims, orphans in Haiti, the list goes on and on. Um, but also entrepreneur, owner of a nonprofit um, called the Unbroken Foundation, a gym called American Sled Dogs, a coffee shop and whiskey bar. There's a whole lot of, whole lot of stuff on yes. that list there. Is your, is your phone just hammering you all the time? It is. Yeah, I think I have like 160 unread text messages. Uh, and those are, are are those like just social text messages or they're like, no, they're like legit text messages that I just, it just gets piled up mm -hmm. for sure. When you turn it on in the morning, is it just the, the deluge start? Yeah. I try to, uh, not look at my phone as mm -hmm. soon as I wake up because, um, I'm definitely a work, a workhorse, you know, mm -hmm. and I love what I do. So it's like, you know, when you have a lot that you're responsible for, <clears throat> And you love what you do. It's hard not to just want to work all the time. Right. But it's also important to have that balance, of course, being a mother, you know, um, being, you know, having the balance of being a mom and an athlete and being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Running everything. So. Yeah. We, we had a cool article from you a couple of months ago called uh, Ashley Horner's Every Damn Day Rituals for Total Success. Yeah. And uh, one of the interesting things in it was it seemed like they were a lot of them really focused on carving out space creating some quiet in there made me wonder like you have you know hundreds of thousands of fans people who follow what you do do you, is your is your life quieter or louder than than what they expect uh it's definitely louder than what they expect mm. i think it's um but over the years i've had to learn uh i've had to learn to to make the time like especially i've i've had to learn it's a discipline to turn it off especially when we have everything literally right on our phone I mean, I can go anywhere, be anywhere, be in the presence of anybody and still work. Right. But am I actually present? You know, mm -hmm. the answer is no. And so it's, it, it is a discipline, um, this day and age, especially being able to have access to everything on your phone, uh, to turn it off and to learn to be present. Right. And at the start of, I mean, start of your fitness journey, at the start of your association with bodybuilding.com. That wasn't really a problem. Really. No, no, it, was, it wasn't. It was, a, it was a different time. Tell us a little bit, like, you've, you've been associated with this brand for a really long time. Tell us about who you were when you kind of first crossed paths with bodybuilding.com. So I did the Body Space Spokesmodel competition. I don't even remember what year that was. It had to have been, shoot, like 
2012. I was going to say 2011, 2011, 2012. Yeah. That's kind of what I... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did the body space spokes model competition. I, to this day, I was so nervous. I mean, it was just, you know, being in the presence of um, a powerhouse company like bodybuilding.com and all the athletes, I was so scared. And, but I... You know, little did I know that it would kind of lay the path and a journey for me that would, um, you know, just open my eyes and give me so many opportunities to what was to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you and were being living- able to just reach people, you know, and use my platform to uh, change lives. Sure. And were you living in Guam at that point? I was, yeah. Yeah. I actually, I was living in Guam and I didn't think that there was like a chance that I was going to win at all the body space spokesmodel competition to be a finalist. But I had lied about my residence. I mean, my actual residence where I'm from and born was Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And that's what I put. And so when I found out that I was actually a winner, because I entered in not really thinking that I was going to win. Oh, shit. Um, I have to fly to Boise. Then, <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I told him that I was living in Oklahoma. And I was like, but I'm actually in Guam. And so, yeah, I had to, uh, I had to make some crazy things happen to get to, I think it was out in L.A., Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ended up taking some random military flight with chickens that landed me up north in somewhere very northern California. And then I rented a car and drove all the way down to L.A. It was wild. But, mm. yeah, some good memories for so, sure. So now what what led you from Oklahoma to Guam? I've never quite been clear on that. Like it's such an interesting trajectory. I understand the urge to like, you know what, I'm going to go someplace I'm going to do the experience, especially when you've got young kids. It can be a fantastic yeah, thing yeah. To, to choose to do. But what led you there? Um, being a, at the time I was a floor trainer and my boy's father was moving to Guam and wanting to keep the boys close to their father. I could either just stay in Oklahoma um, where I was already struggling, like as a single mom, mm-hmm. or I could move to Guam. I knew that there were two military bases there that I could train and work, you know, just be a, a trainer and work with the active duty military and their spouses. And that's what I chose to do. And it was on a whim. I mean, it was almost like in the middle of the night, I made the decision. And the next day I was mm-hmm. packing my bags and yeah, going to, I didn't know anything like what to expect in Guam. So interesting. huh? And I know you, you joined like the national women's soccer team there. Yeah. Too, so right? I We're also doing like physique competitions I, at the same time. It's such, yeah, that's so such I, an intense trajectory. Yep. I trained with the women's national soccer team out there in Guam and my eligibility, I believe I was, I mean, it was so close to where it was borderline gray. Like if I could actually play or not, but, um, we were getting ready to play Japan and that's whenever we had found out that my eligibility was uh, a little bit shy <laughs> of being official, but I still ended up staying and practicing with like the, the women's national team out there. Hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, uh, those are, when, when you move to a place like that, I imagine you could go one of two ways. Like, you know what, I'm going to really chill. I'm going to take it easy, but you were doing some pretty intense athletic stuff at that point too. Like what was, what was training to you, your personal training at that point? Like that's kind Mm -hmm. of a precursor to maybe some of the really intense stuff you've done since then. Yeah. So, I mean, Guam is, I want to try to describe Guam. Guam is like, it's, it's a place where I felt like I could truly 
find myself there. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't in, you know, here in the States, it's almost like status and needing to drive the best and have the best. And at Guam, it was just like, you know, it was, you could just walk around, drive whatever. No, it was based on family. Um, the land there was unbelievably beautiful. And I was able to almost, it was almost like I got lost, but I found myself out there. And the the weather is crazy humid. And I just found, I just trained out there. And I started doing Muay Thai out there as well. And so I would do two-a-days for a while of Muay Thai. Um, and then I uh, found a group of friends. And that's whenever I kind of got into the women's national soccer team out there mm-hmm. and started practicing with them. But um I mean, it was beautiful, and it was a place where you could just push yourself, like grind. It wasn't nothing as fancy, um, and just really using the land, honestly, like as your training grounds. And the ocean, I would swim out there. Um, there was one time I got caught in a current. I actually almost got drug out. Hmm. It was it was uh, one of those moments where I kind of wondered if I was actually going to make it, and. Uh, and that's when I realized I was trying so hard to fight against the current because I got stuck in this, uh, it was some sort of pool. And I just let myself go. And I just stopped fighting. And I swam further out so I could find another way to get back in. Uh, but just little moments and like lessons that I'm not even sure if I realized it then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really do believe that those moments truly altered, um, who I am today. Sure. Yeah. And I, I, I think a lot of people don't really associate you with like physique competition anymore, but you were doing that at that point too, were you? Uh, not? Yeah, I was. Um, I had, okay. So I was a WBFF pro I've competed in all NPC. Mm-hmm. Um, OCB was my first, um, federation that I competed in. And then I did WBFF and I was a, uh, I got my pro card in the WBFF. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, how do you, how do you look back on on that now? Um, because I, I like I, I watch how you train on Instagram and videos and things like that, and it seems like you know you've grown in such a different direction. Do you look back at that and you think like that was like it's a different person, or do you think you know what this was? This was a crucial step as well. It was definitely a crucial step. Um, I learned a lot through competing, and it's not for everybody, but you have to be disciplined. Uh, I learned so much about myself and even in that phase of my life, mentally being able to push myself to just even stay dedicated and committed. Um, but yeah, I loved it through and through. I've been an athlete my whole life, whether I recognize that or not. Um, and getting on stage, it was a huge accomplishment and especially getting my pro card um, to be able to achieve that. I don't know, but then I was like, I, I wanted to, I was like, what's next? Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's almost like I achieved that and it was amazing. And then I just started kind of digging into like, what else can I do? Um, and it, I don't know if it's curiosity or, uh, kind of, I love to live in this state where it's like, it's almost like I push myself to suffering, just the nitty gritty and being scared and 
learning how to harness the thought of fear or failure and pushing through that. So I want to kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about, so you had this transformative experience physically, emotionally in Guam, and then you won the spokesmodel search and suddenly had this platform on bodybuilding.com to really kind of speak your fitness message. Mm -hmm. And you are a very unique female in the fitness industry. You've been around for, as Nick mentioned, a very, very long time with bodybuilding. I don't know, a very, very long time. <laughs> well, by social media standards, you know, you're yeah, not exactly. someone who's just come up in the last five years. You know, you have done the grind and been here and, mm -hmm. and really seen a lot of things. So when you had that opportunity to start reaching more people, what was the message that you really wanted to convey based on your own personal experiences? Yeah, so I, like, after I... um participated in the spokesmodel competition, I just had like even more of just women wanting to know like what I was doing and how I was training. And I, I genuinely wanted to help these people. And I wanted to help every female out there find beauty in their strength. And that is what, for me, everything, whether it's mental or physical, but knowing and truly believing in your heart that you're capable to accomplish anything. And that is the message that I wanted to send out to the world that, um, you know, women talk, they're so down on themselves all the time. And uh, I just wanted to be a voice for the women who didn't have a voice yet, but that it was there and it was inside of them and that they're capable and so with that and, you know, with bodybuilding.com, I just felt like uh, and the message that you guys, you know, changing lives and building better bodies, it's uh, I just wanted to show women that they are too capable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I was wondering how you envisioned coming back from Guam as well. And like, you know, I, I, can't, I, almost, I almost envision you like, you know, like Zarathustra on the mountain, like, all right, it's time to come back down sh and share the vision that I have. <laughs> uh, is that how it was? Or was it something much more mundane than that? Um, no, I, I was ready to come back um, because I knew, I knew that like the human connection and the human connection for me is huge as well because we all live on like this social media, you know, where we feel like we know people and we do know people, but it's like to be able to have that human connection with somebody. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I remember the transition being a little bit difficult because Guam was a place, it, it, it was like untouched, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, it, it was difficult in the beginning, uh, but coming back here, I mean, gosh, I'm like having to think like way back. Um, it was good. I mean, you know, and I never, my intentions and in even entering into the body space spokesmodel competition, I entered in the body space spokesmodel competition because I was just going through a really hard time and I need, I needed something to focus on. I wasn't, uh, competing anymore, like getting on stage, I think, cause I had already gotten my pro card. No, I hadn't. Timeline. Um, but I, I needed something to push myself. And so that is why I entered into the 
body space spokesmodel mm-hmm. competition. And um, I never intended to have like this social media platform. It wasn't like I started my Instagram or even entered into the body space spokesmodel competition in hopes to be somebody that could have a voice. It, it, that was never my intention. It all kind of just happened organically. Um, but with that, I do believe it's a, it is a, it is a huge responsibility. And I don't think that everybody understands, regardless of how big your social platform is, how big of a responsibility it is for you to share your message, uh, and how many people you can actually reach. Right. Right. No, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, the, the reach that you have and Mm -hmm. people just come out of the woodwork in the comments too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about how you started really viewing fitness as a way to bring attention to problems and to issues as well, because, you know, there have been many people who've done that over the years, but um, I'm wondering, was there somebody who kind of made it all click for you? Like, wow, I can't believe what this person did. You mean as in like Not only world as problems like or world like problems, being able to yeah. use my fitness to help others? Yeah. like That as well as like just thinking in terms of, a huge challenge. I'm going to do this. People are going to talk about it and I'm going to have a different kind of microphone there. Um, so like my, my fitness journey, I know that I kind of spoke about how I just always, like I thrive so well in kind of the nitty gritty, you know, I could, I can do crazy things and be in my lowest lows and I can work through that mentally so I, I crave that. I crave, um, I crave that place. And for me personally, like being able to use fitness as an outlet to train and to get through any of my, you know, hardships or anything that I was going through, it was like therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to use my platform to help others, uh, like the orphanage in Haiti, um, the Unbroken Foundation. I did 12 hours of burpee broad jumps around a track for... Oh, I mean, there's, uh, a, there's a long list here, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you ran from Virginia Beach to North Carolina, rode 300 miles on a Concept 2, ran the perimeter of Haiti, the western perimeter, 200-mile swim in a pool, 1,300-mile bike ride from Virginia Beach to Tulsa, uh, and then did this consecutive triathlon challenge. Like. Yeah. I, you know, I, I kind of went through this phase. It was like, um, I thought, you know, and, and with my boys and at the time I was a single mom, like I, I had to be successful. I didn't have, uh, I don't even know how I made it out of high school, but, uh, I, I dropped out of college. I didn't have, the only thing that I truly knew was fitness mm-hmm. and, I, and I promised my boys, there was just this one incident where it was probably like one of my lowest lows. And I, I looked at my son in the back seat, um, and I told him no matter what it would take, I would be successful. And, but the only thing that I knew, the only trade that I knew, the only thing that I was passionate about was fitness. It's what I knew. And so every moment I had, I, I sharpened that tool and I made it the very best it could be. And so for me in like defining success and, you know, making this promise to Cash, who is now 10 at the time he was three. And he was uh, like, okay, four. whatever, mom. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what was mm-hmm. going on. Um, chasing success, I thought that and, and what 
success at the time. I thought it was landing sponsorships and endorsements mm-hmm. or magazine covers. And, um, you know, and it was like I, I reached that and it didn't really what I thought at the time was success. It was like I reached that and it didn't feel like what I thought success would feel like. Um, and then I started reaching financial success and I thought, okay, well, if I can be financially successful, um, that's gonna, that's it. That's like, you know, being successful. Like, what is that? Like, what is successful? How is that defined? Mm -hmm. And, uh, before I was 30, I made my first million dollars and I got there and it was like, it wasn't, it didn't fulfill me. Like I thought it would fulfill me. I didn't, it didn't change me. I didn't honestly even know, like, I don't know. It was just kind of like, so this is, this is what it's like. And I didn't feel any different and didn't change who I was. It didn't, you know, um, but the moment I had an opportunity to do something, to use my physical abilities, as well as the platform that I have to give back to others, that is what fulfilled my heart. And that is what defines success to me period. Mm. And that moment and thereafter, that's what I love to do is to use my platform for the good of others. Mm. uh, When I first started working here in about 2012, uh, one of the first articles I wrote was this one about like, I think it was the 10 most extreme physical feats. And it was about people who, you know, walk all the way across the country unbroken or um, who run around the same block 1500 times. And the thing that kept coming back to me was like, at some point, somebody had to envision this and go, okay, that's the one. All right. That's the one I want to do. Um, how, how did you know when you found a physical feat that really clicked with you? And you're like, you know what? This is, this is what I need to do. Um, so there's actually, it's, I, I do it probably backwards. And this is going to sound kind of crazy, but um, I get these just crazy ideas. For example, running around Haiti, I, and I remember it was at nighttime and I don't even know what I was doing. I I knew that I wanted to raise some money for the, for the orphanage in Haiti. And I, you know, I knew Port-au-Prince was at the, uh, Southern edge of Haiti and Hinch is kind of central. And there's two roads that go that you can get to the orphanage. It's either straight up from the airport or you can run all the way around, uh, to Cape Haitian, and then straight down, which would bring you back to the orphanage. And so I, I honestly just kind of did it backwards. I was like, I'm just going to run the Western perimeter of Haiti and all the way back down to the orphanage. And I remember I um, messaged one of my girlfriends and I said, hey, I was like, this is what I want to do. I just kind of looked at it and it looks like it's around, you know, 200 miles or something. I don't even know if I had like the exact mileage, but I was like, I'm going to do this. I was like... This is what I want to do. And then it's almost like I have to, so I'm like, I decided that I want to do something without honestly any research or knowing like really the, even the exact mileage. I just have it in my mind. And like once I'm fixated on that, it's like it doesn't matter what it takes or, you know, anything that's involved. It's like, that's what I want to do and I'm going to do it. And I remember she messaged me back and she's like, that's impossible. There's no way that like you can't, we can't do that. I mean, first of all, it's Haiti, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, it's impossible. And I was like, I just remember either I just didn't respond because I was like, yes, it is possible. Or I was like, 
we're going to map it out and figure out how to do it. And then so I kind of decide that I want to do something and then I backtrack and figure out the steps. Like if this, if I want to be at point B and I'm at point A, what steps or what has to happen to get me to where I want to be? And so, and then we figure out the route and the logistics. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I I, I imagine that you get like little revelations halfway in there. You're like, oh my God, that's scary. Yeah. After the fact. Yeah. I I mean, I think about it now and it's crazy too, because I on a, a, like in a physical way as well, like I have just learned to, I just kind of turn into like a robot almost, you know, I have a task and I want to complete it. I'm going to complete it. And no matter what I go through and like, no matter how bad it hurts or like, I just turn into this robot and I just go. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's something like mentally that I've been able to tap into, I believe. Where do you think that came from? Um, I think I get a lot of it from my mom. Yeah. I also believe that once, you know, we have, we all have mountains that we have to climb and, For many of us, maybe they start out small. Maybe you have to climb the biggest mountain you've ever climbed, you know, the first challenge that um, happens in your life. But it's like every time you complete something, and I think the first charity thing I did was the burpees around the track, I think. Um, And it just builds confidence. Like anytime you have a challenge and with the challenge you have fear, And with challenge and fear, you have doubt in your mind. And whenever you learn to push through that physically and mentally, it just builds so much confidence. And then you're kind of like, okay, where's the next? Give me the next mountain. Hmm. Well, I I was was just wondering how how hard it is to let go and move forward after a battle like that. Like you say, okay, we want to move on to the next one. But when you're when you're done with something, is it hard hard for you to to let go of it? Uh, like it's over. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like because you put so much energy, so much preparation, so much pain and fear, and all these intense emotions into it, and then you're like, okay, that one's done. Yeah, uh, it takes a couple days to come down from it. You know, of course, especially like the children in Haiti, uh, it's kind of like, oh, how did that really happen? You know, and because I do kind of turn into a robot, it's like I have to kind of come back to reality. And then I don't know, because I know that somewhere on the horizon, there's going to be something else. And usually a lot of times I'm like, I'm never doing anything like that again, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, some time passes and I just, um, I don't know. It it also has, it has a lot to do with the heart. it's, it's when my, I, you know, when my heart ca- calls me to do something or to help something that I truly feel for, um, it just leads me in the direction that I need to go. So it's, um, it's interesting to hear about you talking about how much you like to push yourself and how hard you want to push and you always want to be moving forward and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And recently you had a post where you talked about as a mom being guilty of, you know, kind of putting your sons first and not really 
taking as much time for you. And I'm curious, as someone who is so dedicated and so focused on the next goal and the next next task and the next big thing, how do you or do you ever kind of pull it back a little bit and take some time to rest and recover? Because that's a big part of right. the fitness world as well. Right. Yeah, I for the first time in my fitness career, I am in a season where I don't have any big physical feats that are planned in the near future, which is very odd for me. And um, this year, 2019, has been a year of a lot of challenges. Um, Fitness has been – it is my identity. You know, it's what I've known. It's what I've been good at. And I – you know, I like to think with – also like these feats that I do and my boys always go to Haiti and, um, with the unbroken foundation, they've helped me move moms and kids into new houses and they've been there. And I like to think that, um, and they're getting a little bit older that they're truly starting to understand a little bit, um, what their mom does on a much bigger scale, that it's not just about fitness. Um, but they are able to walk alongside me and be a part of these experiences. But yeah, for the first time, um, really just trying to slow down and not travel as much. And I mean, and that's been hard too, but like, it's just the season that I am in and it is the season that I need to be in right now. And like with my boys and my family and, um, you know, we talk about balance and stuff all the time and, yeah, there's uh, there's no set balance. People like right. think that I have it figured out and I don't. I mean, there's so many days that I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing today. You know, just basically winging it as a mom and running the businesses and being an athlete. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that especially having a social media platform and that's something that I've even stated that I never want to portray that I'm perfect or that I have it figured out because I don't. Like I'm right there in the mix with every single mom or parent, you know, balancing it and wanting to be the best, the best version of myself for my kids. Sure. Now, yeah, you mentioned your mom and you mentioned your kids. I was curious um, what you took from your parents that maybe it, it took a long time for you to see. And then conversely, what do you really hope your boys see someday? Like you can't trust them to see it now, obviously, but someday you're like, all right, I really hope you see this. So my father was a rancher. He had a um, French fry factory as well growing up. Um, But I lived uh, in the middle of Oklahoma on a big horse ranch. My parents bred and broke quarter horses. And my father got diagnosed with cancer. Uh, I was graduating from high school. And it was that summer when I was getting ready to graduate from high school that my father was diagnosed Mm -hmm. and he ended up passing away, um, on his birthday, um, stage four lung cancer and, um, or I'm sorry, esophagus cancer and watching my mom, my, my father was an incredibly healthy man. Like he never went to the doctor or anything and my father getting sick And my brother at the time had a full ride uh, soccer scholarship as well to Harding University. He dropped out of college as well and came back home. 
And seeing my mom, though, pull herself together every single day. And when my father passed and I was I was there actually holding my father's hand whenever he took his last breath and I saw his pulse stop. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize any of this. Like I think like the greatest lessons that we are taught in our life, we don't realize it when it's actually happening. Especially if you're a teenager. <laughs> Especially if you're a teenager. And, you know, my mom had like no experience in my father's French fry factory. It was in a really poor part of town in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And watching my mom be completely fearless and walking into my father's business after he had passed, like probably less than a week. Um, And when I say poor, I mean like it was for a female, my mom's very petite, for a female to be going to his business like at dark before the sunrise, um, it wasn't the safest place for her to be. But she was fearless and she did it. And I remember there was one there was one moment that I like I feel like I saw it yesterday. I walked in on my mom and she was sitting at the edge of her bed. My father had passed probably he had passed for about a week. He was gone. And she was sitting at the edge of her bed and she was crying and I would never see my mom cry. Like my mom's very, you know, tough love. Um, and I remember walking in and I was like, mom, are you okay? And, you know, she was crying and she was like, you know, wiping the tears from her cheeks and I'll never forget this. And I think it's so important that she was like, actually, it's okay to feel sorry for yourself. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be emotional. And I allow myself to do that every single day for 20 minutes. And after that, I wipe away the tears and I stand up and I get work done. And that just really resonated with me because we all face hardships, you know, talking about hardships and, you know, they they change us. Hardships change us. But we get so stuck in that hole. I mean, it's so easy to just kind of dwell in the place that we're at and to feel sorry for ourselves forever. But it comes to a point where it's like, you just got to wake the fuck up and you just got to do it. You have to push away that emotion. It's okay to feel sorry for yourself, but there's work to be done. And that's what my mom did, like a boss. And it was after my father's passing that I, and I had no idea, he did so much um, work for the people in the area that he that his business was because it wasn't a good area lots of, um, addicts. Um, but he had, his employers were actually people overcoming drug addiction, um, alcoholics, helping them manage their money, loaning them out cars, giving them jobs and all of this work. Like I never knew that my father had done that and realizing the impact that he had on so many people, um, I think it, and not realizing it, but my father was an extremely compassionate man. And um, one day, I hope that my boys will see that their mom was both extremely compassionate, but I was driven. 
and I was confident and I would never back down from a challenge. Even if you, even if you failed at it, even if I failed, right? Like, because, you know, you, you accomplished a lot of them, but then mm-hmm. last year you did the Ironman consecutive Ironman challenge and it, you didn't make it. Yeah. I, um, I'm wondering what you took away from that situation, but I'm also wondering how, <laughs> how you even knew to stop at that point because you'd done so many things. <laughs> like, yeah. how do you, how do you, I mean, obviously somebody had to tell you also it was time to stop. But yeah. I, um, I actually didn't want to quit. I felt perfectly fine. I was in the last place. It was either New Jersey or Maryland. Um, I just got really sick. It had to do with, um, I don't know. I just, I wouldn't stop throwing up. My nutrition wasn't right. And I think because I, my first, um, my first Ironman, I was over in Haiti, and I think my nutrition from the beginning, it wasn't right. And, I mean, there's so many things that – because mentally I was there, like, and I wanted to keep going. Um, the coach that I had at the time, he he made me stop. And, um, yeah, Um I still feel like I could have kept going, mm-hmm. but he actually walked away and the team that I had fell apart and I really didn't have a whole lot of choice. I was going to come back to Virginia, back to my home base, uh, do some blood work, figure out what was going on, take a day off and reconnect with my coach and continue on. Even if I had to do them all in Virginia, that's what I wanted to do. Um, I actually never heard from my coach again after that. And I had felt like I just faced one of the biggest battles physically and no one was in my corner. Uh, to help me through that, even verbally, mm-hmm. even like, hey, how you doing? Like nothing, nothing. And I think it kind of goes back to the pressure of social media. Um, I'm not sure what happened, but I, my take on it is that there was a lot of pressure even on his side for social media and the fact that I had gotten sick and I was unable to hold down any fluids um, or even food. He thought that he had failed or the, you know, something. And I was so confident in that, that I could do it. Um, And it was like, again, you know, this wasn't about me. This was about raising the money for the kids, no matter how I had to do it. And that was my why. That was my purpose. Um, he was the coach that had coached me and was coaching me at the time. And I'm not sure. Like, I think that I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those. I have a lot of unopened 
unclosed. Um, I don't know. Hmm. Is that is that part of why you're in this autumn, as you as you mentioned? Uh, no, no. Uh, I mean, I'm crazy to say that, and I actually haven't even given it a whole lot of thought. But I would love to attempt it again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all mental. I mean, physical, yes, definitely physical. But it's mental, and more than that, what I have learned is that your team and the people that you have around you will either make you or break you, period. And I don't know. I still want to do it. Mm -hmm. Are you just going to be feeling that way forever? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I haven't really given it like a whole lot of thought because I'm just kind of in this season of um, just – a different type of grind, but yeah, I mean, I'm not done. I'm definitely, my story's not over. Um, but that's such a miserable experience. It's so interesting that you're still craving that. Like yeah. I can, I can imagine craving one or three or five, but we're talking dozens. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's such a different dimension you're entering into at that point. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, whenever I rode my bike from Virginia beach to Oklahoma, I met my mom and it was, we were riding for cancer people who, um, had lost their lives to cancer and the ones who were fighting. Um, it was all for St. Jude. And I rode my bike from Virginia beach to Tulsa, Oklahoma, because that's where my family resided. My father had cancer And my mom is an avid cyclist. She's a big, she does a lot of mountain biking. And I met my mom in Oklahoma, about 30 or 45 miles outside of Tulsa. And I rode in with my mom to Oklahoma. But what was crazy about this whole journey going from Virginia Beach to Tulsa, Oklahoma, the first probably, and it was 13 days, I believe. It took me 12, 13 days to get there. Of how, how long were the days? Uh, I mean, they were full days. I was pulling about 100 miles a day, okay. give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, I, I rode through everything, like crazy rain. I, it, it was wild, so wild. I went up uh, the, uh, what is that? Um, the Blue Ridge Parkway. I had to get up that. That was my first feat. But what was so interesting is that the first probably three days, maybe four, my body was just tore up. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, talking about doubt and fear and, you know, even questioning your own abilities, I was like, dude, this freaking sucks. Like, am I even going to make it? And something happened after day three or four where I just got stronger. My, um, like, I felt like once I hit Oklahoma that I could have kept going. I could have rode all the way to California if I wanted to. There was this point to where it hurt. It was hard. I was questioning. And then it just got easy. It was almost like my body just knew what to do. And I actually, you would think that your body would kind of deteriorate and get weaker. But I got stronger through my every day of cycling. 
to the point where, and knowing that my mom was at the end and waiting for me, um, that last day I was pulling some mad speed and I knew my boys were there waiting for me. My mom was there and the thought of that, I, you know, those final miles, I remember I looked down at my speed and I was just like, wow, I'm flying. Hmm. Is there, is there a, a peace that starts to come over you at some point in that process? I'm trying to imagine, you know, how you can, how you can sell somebody on this mindset. Like, no, no, you, this is great. You should try it. Or, <laughs> I mean, it, it like, I don't know what it is. I, it, it got to the point through, you know, when I was cycling that it just, it got, it just got easy. Um, I just wanted to keep going. And I don't know if it's a mental state that you're in. I mean, it has to be a mental state. But it, what was very strange to me was that after I was done, like I didn't want to stop. I, I pulled into Oklahoma. Um, I had a, there was a big group of people who met us at a YMCA that was close to the hospital that my father was diagnosed at. And I don't know. I was kind of like, is this the end? Because I just wanted to keep going. And you can't, it's like, it's almost like you can teach anybody how to even be like, we can even say like a barista since I own a coffee shop. But you can't teach someone passion. And it's very hard to teach someone work ethic. And I believe a lot of those two things that I'm very passionate and I, the work ethic that I have is from my childhood of seeing my mom and, you know, my father and um, the key things that they have instilled in me and my, you know, from my childhood. Uh, those two things coupled together, I think that it just has, created something internally where I just don't quit. Mm. I'm, I'm, I find myself wondering what training means to you now too, because you've trained for so many different things. And um, we were having a little email thread the other day where somebody said like, Ashley's coming to town. How does she even train anymore? And I said, well, you know, you look on Instagram and you see some assault bike, you see some cleans and front squats mm -hmm. and sled drags, like, you know, some familiar things. But, um, but I was, I couldn't tell in what spirit, you're training these days and what, uh, what it's giving you. So training for me, um, it's been more sporadic than it's ever been. Um, and especially being in a place of not having any actual physical goals set for myself. Um, I had a phone call with Chris Gethin. This was probably a couple months ago. And uh, him and I are, are, are really close. We're really good friends. And I was crying and I, you know, just told him that I just had felt like that I had lost my identity because my entire life it has been setting these crazy goals and going after and accomplishing them um, or at least attempting. And his response it was just so, it was exactly what I needed to hear, that 
maybe right now for my training, it's not that I am specifically training for anything, any one sport or any big mountain that I'm going to climb and defeat, but it's learning to train just for your lifestyle, just to train, which is a huge mental barrier for me to even break through because everything has been geared towards, um, specific training, whether it's for an Olympic lifting competition. My training would be geared more towards Olympic lifting, um, even powerlifting, you know, the long runs or the swims, everything has been kind of, my training would always alter. And as a true hybrid athlete, I would just kind of alter my training to fit what it was that I was going after, Mm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So now it's honestly, it's, um, I do runs. I still run a couple times a week, probably 20 miles a week. So it's not a whole lot. Um, and then my training and especially with the kids, it's, uh, either out on the beach while the weather's still warm, um, or in the gym and it's just hybrid training. I am doing, currently I'm doing a lot of, uh, high reps, lighter weight and functional Mm. but i have lost a lot of strength Mm -hmm. for sure how much of you do how much of what you do there is kind of by feel at this point it is all by feel as opposed to thinking here's the energy system i'm working yeah it is all by feel like a release to be able to just kind of do what you want without having to train for a specific goal like do you are you at that point yet or does it still no i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) i don't like it um I have thought about, you know, I would really like to get back into MMA and possibly compete in some. I do BJJ and like a little bit of wrestling and grappling. You have three boys. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, yeah. Um, but no, I it's hard. I don't like it. And it's uh, I compared to where I was and where I am at now, um, it is becoming more enjoyable just kind of having the freedom and the flexibility to like, oh, I'll go get in the pool today and swim. And it's it and that's like a completely different almost mindset because before it was like, it was my job. This is what I had to train for in order to complete whatever task I had in front of me. And now it's training not because I have to, but simply because I want to. I want to. And not that it was any different. Like I was training for these things that I was the one I wanted to do it. It wasn't like I was going to school and this was my homework that I had to study for and turn in. Um, it was, you know, it was on my schedule to complete. And it was almost like even the training for the day, completing that task. And that's what was set in front of me. And that's what I had to complete was that task. Yeah. And so now having the freedom and the flexibility to, to do whatever I, you know, to do whatever I want, it's been... Um, it has been something that I have had to overcome and I have overcame it, but I do miss training for something that I'm about to destroy. Purpose is powerful, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Training for a purpose. Um, so I, so I have two, uh, boys as well who are four and seven and it's really interesting for me to watch them kind of come into their own physically and really start to express a direction as well, uh, like a passion for a certain activity or just a total lack of passion for a certain activity. Like, oh my God, I would never do that. 
do you feel like you see your boys starting to come into their own and follow you or not follow you in certain ways? Yeah. So having, you know, this big social media presence and being an athlete through and through, I wanted to make sure that I didn't just shove it in their face. I've been very much, um, you know, they're always around. They're always in the gym. They've been there through the runs. They've been there through the bike rides and they've seen it. I have let them dabble in whatever they want to. Um, I am seeing strengths uh, in all of my boys. My littlest is four and he's still questionable, but he is without a doubt going to be the strongest of mm-hmm. the three boys because he literally just wrestles all day with the older <laughs> ones and he is so tough. Um, but yeah, I am starting to see them kind of come into their own and I have been very cautious to not force what has been my path and my journey because it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be their path and their journey. If that makes sense. Sure. Sure. But it's at, at the same time, I understand the urge to want to equip them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, they, they know all the basics of, um, one of their chores that they have, uh, every day is to run to this bridge and back, uh, that's on the water. And so they know, they know, I believe, and I can hope that I am planting little seeds of the things that I have done. And I have introduced Mm -hmm. these little things to them and watching their curiosity kind of turn into a little bit more than just curiosity, but actually wanting to participate more. Uh, it's been, it's a good feeling mm-hmm. watching them kind of come into their own. They're really into scootering and skateboarding and tricks right now, uh, which is something that I have never done. Um, but my oldest is playing football. They've played soccer. They've done BJJ baseball. I mean, you right. name it and they've, they've, which done is what it. kids should yeah. do, right? Yeah. The, the full gamut. <laughs> right. right. Mm. Um, <clears throat> one, one, one last question I wanted to ask you. So you talked a lot about success and just changing markers of success through your life. And I was wondering what what you feel like success is now. Uh, so for me right now, um, man. It's a big I, question. It I is a big question. I think there's like a lot of different things. Um this year has been a crazy year for me. And um, I don't know, actually. I would say there's different the physical challenges that happen with fitness and the challenges that come with running a business. They're different, but yet they're the same. Um, I never thought I would enjoy running a restaurant, crunching numbers, analytics, the boring number stuff, Mm -hmm. because it is pricing out coffees and right. Mm -hmm. And learning, just learning. And, um, I think for me right now in the season that I'm in is, Overcoming being a young female entrepreneur, having a 
big platform running a local business, overcoming the hardships of running business, a brick and mortar business, and coming out on the other side, knowing that I was able to break through any barriers and knowing that I am capable. It's almost like, I think I'm just like realizing this actually. It's almost like the challenges of, you know, seeing something physical, like running Haiti or riding my bike to Oklahoma um, or the burpee thing, everything else that I've done. It's almost like for me, and I have no background in business. Mm -hmm. I have no background in especially running a restaurant. But that is that was a challenge for me. That is a challenge for me. And learning how to perfect everything in those businesses based on working around the customer's experience. Um, when equipment breaks, learning how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Putting uh, out fires. Right. Putting out fires. Like the, our convection oven had broke at American Brew. We had a bad power surge because we had a, a hurricane that came through. My espresso machine was down. The convection oven where we bake all of our goods was down. And then a part of our hood to our um, flat top grill had stopped working. And so seeing these three problems and figuring out figuring out a way to fix them. And I am the type of person that, like, even if I'm not qualified to fix something and I have to call on somebody else for help, first, I try to fix it or figure it out on my own. Sure, especially if it's a $2,000 espresso machine or $4,000. You, you oh, want yeah. to fix that thing, man. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's actually more than that. It's crazy. Good. Well, I gotta um, have that. But it's like, I, I want to try to figure out myself, like, what the problem is. Mm-hmm. I take it all apart, I look at the parts, and I try to figure out what the issue is. I'll put it all back together. Obviously, an espresso machine, I, you know, those things are made in other countries. I don't know how to figure that out, but I'll call somebody in to help me, but I am there. Mm -hmm. Even if, I like, I want to be the one that you're telling me what part went wrong, and, like, how do I fix that part? I want to physically do it. So I learn, I learn as I go. And um, yeah, the challenges right now for me, I would just say being a really good leader to my team and learning leadership and, and being a source of motivation and inspiration to the people who come into my coffee shop as employees, Um, learning how I can do my job better. So, everyone else on the team gets better. And that's a victory. That's sure. a victory for and, me. And when it doesn't work, you get to see people's unhappy faces. Like it's a different than like, a, you know, if you're selling something online, it's a pretty theoretical customer at that point, right. even if they comment. Yeah, yep. Um, so how do people follow your journey these days? What's the what's the best way for them to uh, to really follow you right now? Uh, definitely Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my Instagram, Ashley.Warner. 
and ashleyhorner.com. Ashleyhorner.co. Dot co. Okay. Yep. Gets people. And you're going to go do a uh, something live for us downstairs, right? I am. Yeah, I'm going to go do a workout for everybody. Excellent. So now if we want to know how Ashley Horner trains, this is the way to find out. Yeah. Uh, And even if this is not a live podcast, but you can go on our YouTube channel. We'll still be there on Facebook as well. Ashley Horner, thanks so much for coming and talking with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you.